This is Unpacking Design, a podcast to help designers of all kinds better themselves in career, business, and life. Join me, Michael Valley, and my co-host, Tim Ong, as we unpack the problems designers face every day. Welcome to Season 2 of Unpacking Design, Life Lessons to My Younger Self. Each episode this season is a raw and unfiltered dive into what we wish we knew years ago. Since we can't turn back the clocks for ourselves, we hope that these masterclass discussions will help you on your own journey. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Unpacking Design. This is the fifth episode in a 12-part series called Life Lessons to My Younger Self, where Tim and I will be sharing six lessons we've learned in our lives and careers. Now, the last lesson, Tim talked about finding your voice. Tim, today we're going to be talking about a subject that is very personal to me and also very, let's say, current with me. And it has to do with leaning into who you are and letting go of who you aren't. And I think where I'd like to start with this is the first mini lesson to kind of have some sort of background on this. And it's called, there is no one in the world quite like you. I think we all come from a place of trying to figure out who we are in this life and as we grow up in our own childhoods, regardless of what that experience is like, whether you think about nature versus nature, nature versus nurture, excuse me, and what that means for how you develop your identity over time. I think for me, when I was a little kid, I had a lot of wonderful people in my corner and those people shaped my childhood and helped me become who I am today. They gave me the space to pursue my dreams and guided me forward when I needed that extra push. I was fortunate enough to be gifted with characteristics like intelligence, determination, gratitude, and humility. It's not just about that nature versus nurture. It's not just about trying to understand exactly where you come from, from the point of view of, is it, is it black and white? Is it, you are just born that way, or is it the place that you kind of grow up in. I think though, over time, it became kind of a blending of the two. I developed my interest in everything from video games to science, to alternative rock, to superheroes, to design, to everything in between. And I was able to do that because I had the space to, to grow in my own time, in my own way. And the only thing that I would say about my experience as a child was that space also gave me so much freedom that I felt like I had a lot of expectations too of what I was going to do with my life. And over time, I felt like there was this sort of weight over my head to become something. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit as we unpack some of these other mini lessons. But All of these factors, whether it's your family, your environment, your interests, all these things shape you into someone who is singularly you. And I think that there's no one way to become that person. But if I was going to tell my younger self something, it would be first that there is really no one in the world quite like you. And I don't mean that in a egotistical way, but I think the reality is that Sometimes we forget that we come from very different places 
and it's okay to be interested in very different things based on whatever the factors are in your life that kind of make you who you are. This is not an easy thing for a lot of people to come to. It's something that I think I've come to over the past couple of years specifically, as I've let go of those expectations to be sort of this um, perfect person and this doing this life in a sort of perfect way. Um, being anything else other than who you are, I think in a lot of ways is kind of like pretending and because of where we come from, who we know, and the experiences we have, there really is truly no one like us. So I think of it more of letting go of who you're trying to be and thriving as who you are. And I think the only way to thrive is to accept who you are. And it might sound a little bit cheesy, but I think that that's just the, the best way to uh sort of feel fulfillment and to get fulfillment out of your life. And I kind of wanted to ask you just very simply, do you feel that you have been able to lean into who you really are over the course of your life? Or do you think that there have been things that have held you back? I was actually going to look at this from a different perspective too, because for me, I know that it's a, it's been a journey getting to this place where I can now focus on who I am. In the beginning, there was a lot of testing and experimenting going on. So when you think about the early days in your life, when you're back in middle school, when you're in high school, and soon after, even in college, most people don't know who they are. And I think that that's okay because you need to explore and experiment enough to start to open up the options that are available to you and to start creating the opportunities that you can start taking. Without that experimentation, you're going to pigeonhole yourself in a specific niche or in a specific topic. That's one of the reasons why I actually think getting into college and assuming that you want to major in something is actually not the best thing to do. What I would have done differently in the past is actually taking time after high school to explore by working, to apply and be a mechanic or to be an intern somewhere or to just go and ask people questions and to actually explore the world in the way that it was meant to be explored. And from that, you can start to find the things that you love, the things that your body is attracted to, right? So it's more of a feeling that stems from within. And what I mean by that is, once I started finding myself, it was actually after my junior year of architecture school. Before that, I was lost. I was just trying to follow the footsteps that my professors were putting in front of me. All these big name architects, these famous people and architects that were quickly becoming known. And they kept putting them in front of me and pushing their agendas of trying to get to a point where I became a clone of those people with some differences in that I'm younger and I can probably get ahead of those people. And I don't agree with that methodology because if you're just trying to clone yourself by becoming someone else, you start to live out a life that wasn't really something you enjoyed. And if you didn't find that that's what you enjoyed and you're going down that path, you're going to end up hating what you do. And that's the worst place to be in. So the moment that I figured out 
the directions that I wanted to go was actually after I got licensed as an architect. At that moment, I started questioning who I really am and who I want to be. When I did that, I still was imitating some things from some people because I was trying to discover what I wanted to truly do. And as I was doing that imitation, I would never find that happiness. I kept getting stuck in this idea that I had to be this famous architect one day. And eventually, when I let go of those things and I just started questioning myself in the present moment and figuring out what I wanted to do right now, and I leaned into those things, it started to create a path in front of me where I started to meet people with like-minded ideas And I started to lean in even harder because it became something that I enjoyed doing and that I looked forward to doing. It wasn't this long outset goal that someone else put in front of me, but it became shorter goals that I could see the end of, which then became medium length goals. And now they're becoming longer term goals. I think sometimes we get so caught up in trying to be someone else, like you said, Mike, that we forget who we want to be because we never gave ourselves the opportunity to experiment enough to start finding the paths that we can take that lead to another path that we can go on to. Yeah, I think that was very well said. I wanted to get your take on something else here too. Um, So one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about as I was considering this topic and this, this lesson for my younger self was I always had sort of this vision and you you touched on it a little bit for yourself, but I I always had this vision of myself that I, I don't know how I created it, but maybe it was just the, um, maybe it was just the factors of the way that school sort of shaped my experience or the, the people around me shaped theirs. So as, as a, as a, reason for me thinking about this. My parents both had uh, very successful sort of college experiences. They went to Syracuse University. They uh, both got degrees in communications. And that's actually, you know, where they ended up meeting and things like that. So they had this sort of, um, they had this sort of path that they had created for themselves. Right. And I felt like I I knew I didn't want to do anything communications related. That was a very easy (laughs) decision not to go into that, but it it was already set up for me almost as they were the first, they weren't the first people in my family to go to college, but they were definitely the first people in my family on either side that went to colleges that were of notoriety Right. And I think that in the back of my head from a very early age, I just respected that. But then I also think that bled into who I felt like I had to be. And nobody ever in my family said I had to do anything other than just be me. But there was this expectation that I put on myself that I think ultimately pushed me in a direction that was sort of a double-edged sword where I felt that I was quote unquote, destined for something. And I know that that might sound maybe (laughs) more uh, uh, narcissistic than it really is meant to be, but it just, 
it felt like something was pushing me in a direction for my my path, my fate, whatever you want to call it. And I wondered if there was something that you had in your life that specifically you remember pushing you in a direction of any kind. I think the earliest memory I could I could think of is when I was six years old. It was when I was five or six. I At this time, I had this weird moment. And I, I'm curious if other people have ever had this, but I remember laying in my bed in my one bedroom apartment where I shared that apartment with my five siblings and my my two parents. And being one of five in this household, I would lay in that bed and I would always look out of the window. And as I was looking out the window, I kept thinking about what I was meant to be because at a young age, that's the biggest question coming out of every cartoon made for kids, coming out of every kindergarten class. They're always asking, well, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? And I, I never had an answer to that question because whenever someone asks you that from a younger age, you haven't had enough experiences to actually know what you could be. And that's where I remember taking a step back and really diving into my mind and thinking about, well, what do I like to do? And at the age of five or six, my answer was, I don't know what I like to do. I don't know what skills I have, and I don't know what I could do in the future. So at that time, I decided not to think about it because the thought of it actually made me sad to try and figure out what you want to do only to result in knowing that there was nothing currently that you knew existed that you actually could do with the skills you have and the joy that you are looking for. And with that in mind, I went through the rest of my life without having thought about it, but instead thinking about trying to get as much experiences as I could. And as I was doing that, I started filling my life with all these different career paths. I never thought I'd be a designer, never thought I'd be an architect. I thought I'd be an accountant. I thought I'd be a mechanic. I thought I'd be all these other things. At the end of it all, the biggest moment that pushed me to figure out what I wanted to do was when I figured out what skills I had built over time and accumulated. And I started questioning out of all those skills, which ones was it were I inherently good at and why? And when I figured out that I was good at those skills, I didn't try and fix my weaknesses. I leaned into the, the skill sets that were good to me. And that was the moment where I started to find that I was gaining traction in so many ways. And so for me, it took a long time, but it took a lot of deep diving into my own mind and trying to figure out where I currently stood in my life based on the experiences I've had. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's very well put. And I, I just kind of imagine what you were saying as you were telling your story about being a little kid looking out the window and I'm just imagining sort of little Tim Ong trying to <laughs> figure out his life. And I actually believe that you did that because you seem like the kind of person that would be, uh, be thinking ahead in that way. But I also thought it was very wise of you at such a young age to think that you don't really need to necessarily put that, that weight of 
an identity so soon on yourself. I thought that was very, very smart because it, it opened you for up to other possibilities, which I think is, is one of the key, key pieces here and something that I honestly did not do. <laughs> so I think uh, I could learn a lot from uh, six-year-old Tim. So that's good. Um, I did want to transition into sort of the, the piece for me that I think I've struggled with. Honestly, it's probably one of the greatest struggles I've had as uh, in my life. Not, I was going to say as an adult, but really uh, as a part of who I am. And this next mini lesson is you are not your work. And I, I, I tell you, I've struggled with this so much, Tim, that it's, it's, it's really crazy. I don't know how much I think about it. I think about it a little bit less now that I've started to accept who I am in every way. But I think I've been ever since college, maybe even since high school, I've been seeing myself through the work I make. And I've been creating this identity of who I'm supposed to be because of that work and through that work. Whether that's excelling at calculus in high school or designing skyscrapers in in my college days or designing buildings that actually come alive after college and in the work field of architecture, I put everything into who I am and into sort of this kind of call it the academic life. Being book smart and design savvy became, quote unquote, my thing. And it's something that I think that a lot of people who know me would probably say is who I am if they asked me. And partly that's because that's who I always conveyed myself to be is this this book smart person who's interested in designing things and creative endeavors and you know, for better or worse, that's what people would probably describe is who I am. And since I was never very good with people and kept to myself to do those things, that became a lot of who I personally wrapped my identity into. And I just felt the need, I was compelled to do better. I needed to make everything I did in school, in work, just up another level. I needed it to be amazing and I needed to win. This mindset created or carried me through school and into the first few years post-college. And I pushed myself and I pushed myself and I pushed some more. And you know this, Tim, but when burnout came around the corner and smacked me right between the eyes, I was more surprised it hadn't happened to me sooner. I just felt like... It was something that needed to happen. Uh, burnout made me remember that I wasn't just an architect. I was a husband, a brother, a son, a friend. I was someone who mattered beyond the accolades, the grades, the pats on the back, the awards. There were people in my life who I affected beyond my inner circle who benefited from me just being me. And I wanted to sort of relate this to a, a story that I have to, a story that I, I think a lot of people can relate to in a film that 
is a very famous film from 1946 starring James Stewart called It's a Wonderful Life. And I bring this up because it's, it's actually, I'm surprised I hadn't recognized it sooner in my life. It's a film that, I don't know if you do this, Tim, every year, but whenever the holidays come around, there's usually like one or two films that I have to watch. And It's a Wonderful Life is the one film that if I don't watch anything else during Christmas time, it's the one that I have to watch. And I might not watch the whole thing. I might watch a piece of it. But it's truly a great reminder of what I'm talking about, that I that somebody is more than just what they do. So for anybody who's unfamiliar with the film, James Stewart plays a character named George Bailey, who the, the film follows him through his younger days as a kid, all the way through being sort of a, a middle-aged man with a family. And he... The film starts out going through the things that make him who he is, the experiences he has, and ultimately he is, as he perceives it, stuck in the town that he grew up in. He's not able to sort of break free of the place that he grew up in. He has responsibilities to his family business, and he stays in, uh, in his hometown in order to sort of protect the people around him, but also to uh, sort of make the the family business work. And he does this at the expense of traveling, of becoming who he thinks he's supposed to be. And he basically puts himself so much into this life that he starts to feel as though his life doesn't have any meaning. He doesn't feel like he did the things that he was supposed to do. He doesn't feel like he was um, able to spread his wings and, and do something better with his life until he is faced with a, essentially a turning point where he's on the run for something that a crime he didn't commit. It, it has a very, a very hard turn, a crime that he didn't commit, but everybody's after him trying to find him. And he has a near-death experience where he essentially, in a Christmas Carol-esque way, he is able to see what life would be like without him and what his, the people around him would be like if they didn't know George Bailey. And he starts to recognize the fact that he is an important factor to their lives beyond just the work that he did, the the kind of family business that he ran, the, the person that he was created a center point for all these people in their lives and their lives thus wouldn't have been as wonderful without him. And he comes to this realization that regardless of what happens to him, whether he goes to jail or not, he's going to accept sort of what, the the sort of path is in his life because he knows that he has more to offer the world than just the type of work that he does or the types of things that he goes and sees. He has several children. He has a beautiful wife. He has a life that is worth living. And I think about that story, Tim, because it it reminds me to not take things as seriously because I am 
probably on a daily basis, affecting people in ways that I don't know. And it's beyond just the work that I do. And I kind of wanted to get your take on however you want to approach it, but I don't have a specific question. I just wanted to kind of understand where, where you might be coming from based on that. Yeah. When I think about that idea of this particular mini lesson about you're not your work, I always think about where I am right now, because I'm in a place where I'm developing content in so many different ways that talk about different facets of my life that I'm very interested in exploring and sharing. For example, I have a YouTube channel where I design and make products. I also love designing and making architecture, so I decided to include it on that channel. But outside of the channel, I'm running a lot of rooms on Clubhouse and leading discussions around topics that relate to designers from all aspects of design and creativity. Some of the rooms talk about how to learn, how to teach. Some of the rooms are interviews with architects, designers, people that we know on YouTube. And through all of these experiences, people are now seeing me as a thought leader in a specific area and niche on the platform. So much so that people are actually intimidated by me to be interviewed, even though they're gigantic people. And it put me in this interesting position where I never thought of myself as a thought leader. I never thought of myself as the architect designing fun projects. I never thought of myself as the architect designing products. I just think of myself as having many interests that I want to share. And as I'm sharing each one, I'm now getting caught up in this brand identity crisis in the overall idea of what a brand is. Because when people think of me as a personal brand, I no longer have one that makes sense. I have multiple things that are trying to come together. And I had to make a decision recently not to focus on bringing them together and forcing them to work, but instead to allowing myself to continue pursuing all of them in the ways that I am, because eventually I know that they will merge. I don't know what that looks like right now, but I have to find comfort in knowing that I will lead it to a point where they're going to merge because there's no way that all these things I love to do will always be disassociated with my personal brand. So when we talk about that question of you not being your work, it's really about the separation between a personal brand versus a business brand and others. You can be known for so many things, but when it comes to your personal brand, that's what people think of when they think of your name. And that name can carry with it so much because as a person, people are now at a point where they are seeing that one person can have multiple expertises. No one's a singular expert in our world anymore because everyone's talking about everything. But out of all those things, there's a handful that you really know a lot about. And so for me, I'm now focusing a lot on this idea of continually exploring by doing and searching for more by creating the things that I believe in and hoping that in the future, they'll all lead and converge to one single idea that people can associate with me. And it's getting away from being so concise with my one sentence description of myself 
and letting it start off by being a longer description of what I love. And from that, every year that I look at that, I can refine it until it becomes that sentence. Because as I gain more clarity of what I'm doing and what I love, that sentence will become more clear for other people too. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting perspective because I think a lot about the culture that we have today. And you talked a little bit about the difference between your personal brand and a business brand. And I think there's a an argument that could be made that sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're different. But you and I both know that there is now a kind of especially if you're a, I'll, I'll, I'll focus this in a little bit on content creation for a second here because it's more specific to us, but then I kind of want to broaden it out. So as a person on the internet who is making things and who is sharing things and is trying to either teach other people or help other people or just bring other people into sort of my my world, I find that it's it's something that I struggle with a lot in terms of how the things that I'm interested in blend into the kinds of things that I'm known for or not. And it's sort of this interesting thing that I don't know if you've uh, sort of dealt with it in this same way, Tim, but sometimes I struggle with how much of myself, quote unquote, to integrate into that, that snapshot. And I, I like the way that you put the uh, snapshot of how I'm perceived. And I like the way that you describe that sort of one sentence way that you sometimes can describe yourself as, because I think in a lot of the places that we both try to learn more about what it's like to share things on the internet, whether that's through uh, let's say forums or groups or clubs or things like that, where other people are doing similar things like us, it is imperative for grabbing someone's attention, I think, to at least identify relatively who you are. So as an example, while I know you like to cook, I don't think you would ever first describe yourself as a chef. And I think that there are priorities in terms of how you describe yourself to other people. And I kind of wanted to get your take on, I know that you, this entire discussion, you've talked about how being open and being sort of, uh, I guess, open with who you are on the internet, but also who you will become is sort of open-ended. And I like the way that you've phrased that because it allows you to have more growth, but I guess I guess I want to dive a little bit deeper into if we're not our work, where does that line sort of start and end for you when you describe yourself to other people on the internet? When I think about that, the first thing that comes to mind is that I've learned through experience and trial by fire that I can't come up with my description for myself alone. Because whenever I think about how I would introduce myself to someone else, yeah, I have those, those ideas of the objective perspective of me. I'm an architect, I'm a product designer, I'm a blogger, I'm a podcaster. There's all these things you can say that you are. Well, when it comes to a descriptor of what you're about, that's where it gets difficult. 
because you can't always identify what you're about in such a concise way, because that implies that you see yourself from a third person, that you see yourself from a perspective of somebody else. So for me, when it comes to figuring out what that descriptor is, I always sit down with people like you, Mike, and my fiance, and I ask you, when you think about what I'm doing and what I'm putting out, how do you see me? And from that, that alone is always something different than how I see myself. And if I ask enough people and there are overlapping patterns between what everyone is saying about me, that's where I get a better idea of the perception of who I am based on what I'm doing and what I'm sharing. Because oftentimes we get trapped in our head. We think about all the things that we're doing, what we think that we're about, even though it's happening in the silence in reality. You're not speaking these things out loud. No one else lives in your head. The only thing people know about you is what you put out. And we're always caught in that gray area because as a person, unconsciously in our mind, we're always developing more ideas and consciously we're always in tune with what we believe. But we don't put everything in our head out into existence in the world. And because we don't bridge that gap, we need someone else to tell us on the other end, this is what we're seeing. And then we can compare it with how we see ourselves. And when we do that, that middle ground becomes the description of who we are. Because now it's about either changing something because you actually didn't want to be known for that thing or leaning into it because someone now pointed it out and it makes so much sense to you that now you can compare it to what you originally believed, tie it together and come up with a descriptor that's truly you. But if you try and do it by yourself or you try and let someone else tell you who you are, you will never find a middle ground that you completely agree with. And so for me, it always stems from that. It has to be seen from two perspectives. You can't just come up with that sentence on your own. If you say it by yourself, it's what you believe. If someone says it for you, it's how they see your personal brand. And if you can bridge the gap in the middle, then that's who you were meant to be. Yeah, I love that. I think that there's a quote that you've probably heard of, Tim, that is salient to what we're talking about. And I believe it's credited to Jeff Bezos, but it's your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And I think that in a lot of ways, we can try to describe ourselves through our work. And sometimes it's necessary just to start a conversation. But to your point, I think it's very imperative that we have conversations with other people to understand who they perceive us to be mostly just so you can reach that middle ground, right? Like I have a very strong perception of who I am. You, Tim, probably have a a different descriptor than I do of who I am. And you can say those kinds of things because you know me in a way where you've seen where I'm coming from, what I'm interested in, where I think I'm going. Um, But you have a very different observation of who I am than I do, just because I'm not your enough of a third party that you can you can you can kind of give me that feedback and i think getting that feedback helps us evolve grow change develop uh into whoever we want to be i think part of it is also just the choice of taking that information and what we do with it right so 
is going back to the example of it's a wonderful life. As soon as George Bailey realized that all of these people cared for him in his life, the way that they, that they did, he took that and you can just imagine what his life was like after that movie ended, right? You can start to imagine the changes that he made in his day, the way that he perceived his life. Wasn't this just mundane thing that he was going to every day? He wasn't, he wasn't, describing his life as this one job that he had he was taking in and sort of reminding himself every day of what it was like to sort of live life and and grow in the way that he wanted to whatever that means so i wanted to take that as a moment to transition into the third mini lesson and just to kind of recap the the overall theme of this discussion today is to lean into who you are and let go of who you aren't. The first mini lesson was this is, there is no one in the world quite like you. And we just finished talking about you are not your work. The third mini lesson that I'd like to go into, which I think builds a little bit on what we were just talking about here is that the experiences and qualities you offer the world make it a better place. So, the experiences that I've had in my life, especially the stories I've seen on the big screen or had in my own experiences growing up, have built up this sort of library in my head of ideas that I can pull from. And they create a, an interesting and unique filter to me through which I can see the world and share my view of it with others. For a while, that's how Evolving Architect, my blog, has been for me. It was something that I started writing when I needed it most. It was the resource I could pass on to the next person looking to build up their career. When we we both started blogging around the same time, Tim, I think you had actually started your website a little bit before me, but we 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 met each other and started growing these sort of personal brands at the same time. And that's how we, I think, essentially created the friendship that we have now today through mastermind type discussions and, and sharing ideas. But if you remember when I started evolving architect, there weren't too many architecture blogs. There were a few like um, life of an architect by Bob Borson or young architect.com by uh, Mike Rasika. And since then, there have definitely been this sort of influx of more blogs and more people sharing their voice and things like that. But I felt like there was this need for me to share my voice in a way that would help other people. And I felt that I was just far enough ahead. I had just gotten my license and I, I felt that I could help somebody in a way that would impact their lives and be the resource for them that I didn't have when I was trying to study for my exams as an architect or to just understand what it was like to build a career. At that point, I had been, say, four or five years into my career, and it was actually a little bit longer than that. Now I'm thinking about it. And I just had enough experience to share my, my stories. And I could share and relate stories from <laughs> my personal experiences or from things as uh, sort of pop culture as the Karate Kid to inspire somebody about working through the mundane, which is one of my favorite articles I've ever written, or personal ones like the time that I uh, accidentally forgot my keys 
I don't know how I did this. I forgot my keys inside my house and had to break into my house uh, as a way to get back in. And I had to think outside the box. So I turned that into an article that could help somebody else think abstractly and think in, in ways that would push them into uh, other directions. It was a, also a very fun article. These perspectives were only possible through one lens, mine. Some people resonated with that lens and others didn't. And maybe those people bounced in and never read another article on Evolving Architect. I don't know. Regardless, I just kept writing. And I remember this quote that I heard an author, um, and he's also an entrepreneur, Donald Miller, say in a webinar sometime, there are some people for whom only your voice will resonate. Don't let them down by being someone else. And that has stuck with me. It's something that I've actually put on my board before. It's something that I've written down uh, and put in front of my desk before. Uh, now it's actually on a tech board next to me. And I've kept that with me because I feel that there is something about being truly as much as you can be that will help someone else find their way through this life through their career, through whatever. And that's helped me become more of me over time. I've leaned in, I think, especially over the last, let's say, year into telling stories that are much more karate kid and far less of generic, this is how you do this thing. And it's more of my style. I'm taking this sort of nerd culture uh approach to telling stories. I'm taking these quirky uh, sort of experiences that I've had, like locking myself out of my house to teach lessons, to teach stories, to share these experiences through my filter. And I know that you do similar things in your own way, Tim, you're not necessarily having all these cultural references that I am, but you're doing it in your way. And I want to kind of get your take on how you feel that your sort of experiences and, and qualities that you offer the world make it a better place. That's something that I've been practicing more of through speaking. And it's something where I remember I would always tell someone, especially close friends of mine, that I'm so interested in learning more about them. And everyone that I say that to are always taken back. And when they're taken back, they always say, what do I have to share that's interesting? And they would just start being very self-deprecating. They would say, I have nothing worth sharing. I haven't lived long enough. I didn't go through a war like my grandparents and so on and so forth. But the interesting part of it is, that everyone's life has some unique aspect to it as they've lived it, where they can extract some lesson that they learned through an experience that really catapulted the way that they are and who they're going to be. Everyone has that story, but it only comes up when you can think of it because you relate it to something that was asked or said in a conversation. And I used to think the same for me that I have stories, but I just didn't know how to share them yet. And I would always share the stories of other people through analogies. But now, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that I've had so many more experiences in my life that are so true to me 
that only I can explain it with some of the, the vivid details that come with it that entice people and get them more intrigued because they can see the reality of it, but also they can relate to it because I'm a person just like them. And as I share those stories, I find more and more people are relating to the experiences I've had through my life, and it's providing them a lot more value because now they see how I overcame an obstacle. Most of the time when people are trying to share something from their past and they're talking about who they are, I find that they lose track and lose sight of the purpose of the story they were sharing. And they share too many details that were unrelated to the, to the topic that was being discussed. They include too much detail and people lose track of where they were going. And in that moment, I feel like you can have all these experiences, you can have all these things that you can offer, but the people who you're trying to offer it to don't actually want to listen anymore because you filled it with too much fluff. And so everyone has experiences and stories that can be shared to help someone else and to help the world. The issue we run into is that sometimes we overshare. Because the moment we find that connection, we find an excitement within us to share every single detail of that moment, time of day, the weather, and everything else when all you needed to say was the main ideas, the lesson that you learned, bring people up to the peak and let them ride the roller coaster down. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I think that the thing that I actually struggle with is that sometimes I have way too many details. Like you just described letting people get on a roller coaster and getting to the peak and then letting them ride. I would probably describe how many rivets are like built into the roller coaster and like what it's made out of and like all the pieces that come together and how to assemble it. And then, Hey, by the way, you can also ride it because it's a roller coaster. And sometimes I struggle with the, the way that I tell the stories, but I think what's interesting is that, through these, I think that's honestly one of the reasons why, Tim, you and I work so well together when we're talking about these kinds of things, because you bring perspectives like that, that help sort of balance that, that level of sort of wander lust, I would almost call it in storytelling that I have, where I just want to, I just want to like talk forever about whatever the story is. I mean, I could explain to death why the Karate Kid is one of the for some reason, one of the most important films in my life to talk about um, in terms of skill building or, or, or other lessons that can kind of pull from that. And I think that you have a very uh, interesting and personal way to you that allows you to now, I, I love the way you put it, where you, you said that you, you love making analogies, but I think I've noticed that over time, as you experience more things, you're able to tie those experiences to lessons that you want to share. I never even, I don't think I've ever heard you talk about you being a six-year-old kid looking out the window and talking about how, or thinking about what you might be and then deciding not to think about it too hard. Like that was a very powerful story that I've just heard in real time from you. And I feel like you're starting to share those stories more and more. And that's one of the lessons that I think I'm sort of uh, very 
happy that we're both kind of experiencing here is that as we tell more stories about our own experiences and the the things that we have to offer, I think it does, it not only makes it a better place, but I think that it also helps re let's say reinvent ourselves as we keep having experiences. So we will have an experience. We'll be able to filter it through our voice, tell it to somebody else. But I don't know if you've experienced this. If you tell that story and maybe you're having this experience now, as I'm talking about your story, you just told, but as somebody says something back to you about your story, do you ever have a, a moment of growth where you learn something from that other person because you told that story that makes you think about it in a different way or makes you approach that story again in a different way? I would say that I've had people respond to stories that I've shared in ways that were unexpected because in the beginning, I didn't think anyone would relate to the stories. So all of the responses I originally got were all positive feedback about how much they related how much they took away from that story and how much they're going to walk away with. Over time, as you start meeting new crowds, people who want to be part of discussions, people who feel like they need to say something, people who feel like they need to one-up you, or just someone who's genuinely extremely interested in you as a person, they'll dig a little bit deeper and they'll start picking up on little details here and there and giving opportunity to share specific details about the story, which can oftentimes lead to the issue that you have, Mike, where someone starts asking about these details. So now you get excited and you start sharing every detail. But that's where the most important part comes in. And it relates to this idea that you're sharing about having more experiences and leaning in. Because as I start to listen to people's questions about my stories or about the ideas that I'm sharing, I can start to pick up on what things won't be related back to original, the original topic of the discussion. And if I pick up on that, I don't share anymore. I stop. I let them know, hey, I could go in that direction, but I don't think it's going to bring value because of these reasons. So did you have any other questions? And when you do something like that, it seems a little cold, but if you do it in the right way, it actually guides the discussion so that you can stay on topic and make sure that people are continually learning and gaining value instead of derailing the conversation and bringing it down a path that you didn't intend it to go. But when someone asks a very relatable question that digs deeper, it helps me resurface more of that story because there are so many parts to someone's true life stories that we don't always think about. But in that moment, that's where you're teaching someone else something that's so personal to you that no one else could have taught it the way that you could teach it in that moment. So no, I don't bring that part up and reshare that portion of the story. I might think of how it might relate in the future, but the other thing is I don't just have a catalog of stories ready to go, right? Like I don't have this, this revolving door of stories that I'm just constantly recycling. It's all in the moment. When I think of something that relates to the conversation, I start to share it. If it doesn't relate, I don't share it. And if an idea could have been shared, but I didn't think of it at the time, then it means to me that it wasn't meant to be. So I don't constantly share the same stories. I try and avoid doing that if I could, because sometimes I would rather not share a story until it becomes who I'm known for. 
Instead, I just want the value to come across to somebody else if they could have used it in that time. That makes a lot of sense. I think I, I'm actually, it's funny that you say that that way because I'm actually doing the opposite right now behind the scenes that we haven't talked about, but it's something that I'm experimenting with a little bit, which is to try to, honestly, it's, it's funny the way you described it because it's almost literally what you described, what you don't do. Um, I'm trying to think back and almost like a, a journal exercise, think of the, the kinds of, not necessarily the lessons specifically, but stories that I can share with other people to vary the types of stories that I'm sharing. And I'm doing that in a way that is almost like a database or a catalog. And the reason why I'm saying this as kind of another way of coming at it is we talked a little bit about experimenting with different things and trying different things. And I think the one thing that I've found is that while I do have a lot of different experiences, I find that sometimes I get caught up in telling the same story because I'm either comfortable with that story or I'm not really sure if there's maybe another perspective or another way I could come at something in terms of a lesson. So I've been trying to write down profound memories or experiences that I've had or analogies that I could relate other people to sort of like that karate kid story or sort of like the analogy that we just had with the uh, roller coaster, you know, or things that are easily palatable or easily translatable to somebody else so that they can understand what the lesson is. And I think partially I'm doing that because I have the issue and I have the, the trouble with, and something I would try to help my younger self with is being that sort of long winded and trying to really get down to, okay, if I'm telling a story, what is the point of the story? Like you're saying, what is the lesson that I'm trying to get here? And I, I don't think I might have seen it as being cold bef- in like the moment once, but when you actually are, and I've seen you do this in real time, Tim, where you essentially stop yourself from going deeper into a story because honestly, at some point, the, the details of that story probably don't matter. Like the color of the wall in that room that you were in, you know, when you were a little kid looking out the window doesn't matter anymore. The, the temperature of that day, you know, doesn't matter. Like the, what the weather was like, doesn't matter. The point of that story was that you were able to sort of grow in that moment. And that's, that's it. You don't have to go any farther. I think I'm trying to find the ways that I can, uh, relate to people in in sort of a deeper way. So it's just funny that, again, this kind of goes back to sort of being more of yourself. I'm finding that as I try to relate more to people and, and help them, that in some ways me going wider to try to find out what those lessons are is actually helping me. Um, but it's interesting to know that you are kind of doing the opposite a little bit here, which is, it's just, it's just a fascinating um, observation, I guess. So I didn't yeah, know if you, and go ahead. The, the, the trick that I'm finding to all of this, and it's not really a trick, it's just a better way of trying to see the world and it's empathizing with someone else, making sure that as you're about to tell your story, you put yourself in the shoes of the person who's listening, because when they share something and you had that connection and you thought of a story in that moment, 
there's something about what they're looking for that you can speak directly about and to. And if your story starts to derail where the things you're saying doesn't relate to the things that they're trying to listen to with their own ears and see with their eyes, then you've missed the whole point of why you started sharing the story in the first place. Because now you approach it from a different perspective and it's one of uh, the human mind. It's a condition that psychologically people like hearing themselves speak. And because they like hearing themselves speak, it's in that moment where you stop empathizing and instead you invert to being selfish and, and not being selfish in a bad sense of the word, but being selfish in the sense that you're only focused on what you're delivering now. And it, it, it's a common issue where people find themselves delivering more than the person had ordered, right? You might think someone wanted 20 pizzas when they only ordered two. But when you bring them 20, you might think that they're excited about it. But the moment they have to throw it all away, they don't know how to filter through. They don't know how to save it. They don't know what to do because now they're just overwhelmed, right? So when you start thinking about the ways that you can take the information someone's looking for and deliver it in a way that they can hear it from your perspective, but they only hear the words that you've selected to choose to, to deliver to them, they'll get so much more out of that than listening to you, listen to yourself. And I think that's the issue that a lot of people run into. It's not a bad issue. It's just where everyone starts because you always start by hearing your own words. And the moment you can practice enough to invert it so that it's about what someone else wants to hear and what someone else is looking to listen to, now you can bridge the gap between you and the person. Yeah, that's very well said. So I'd like to transition a little bit to another topic, another mini lesson here. And it's that you don't owe the world anything. And that includes proving anything to yourself. So I talked a little bit about my childhood and, and how I grew up. And I had a very supportive family and, and friends group growing up. Everybody had always been wonderful to me and very... Uh, again, I don't want to use the word supportive, but that's really what it came down to. Uh, everybody was very helpful and it's been difficult to do things that go against the norm of who I was supposed to be. And even as I say that out loud, I don't know what that's supposed to mean or look like. I had this idea of Mike just has to do something great in his life because everybody's here cheering me on. Everybody's, everybody's so supportive. Everybody's so helpful. I don't want to let them get down. And it comes back to the fear of feeling less than, of, of, of not hitting the mark, of not being all who I could be. And for so long, I thought that the answer was tying my identity to what I do. So Look, am I proud of being a licensed architect? Hell yes, I am. It took a lot of effort. And I I think in a lot of cases, Tim, you've heard me say that I will feel that I am or perceive myself as an architect for the rest of my life. And I truly believe that. I love architecture and I like being an architect. And I believe that it's one of the things that I was meant to do. But at the same time, I was... 
meant to do more than just that. I'm more than just that license or that piece of paper that says I can design buildings. And I think that there are some instances where I've had to just say no to even the most important people in my life when something doesn't resonate with me. So uh, as you know, as an example, there have been times when I would think that I, it would be best for me to maybe shape my career in one direction or doing something else. And we've had a lot of these conversations offline uh, with each other in sort of our mastermind format, but I have struggled a lot with this expectation here. And I think that in some cases I would say yes to helping somebody um, work on a project that I didn't really feel compelled to do, or that I would start tying up my time and my efforts with uh, just something that didn't feel right. And maybe those are, are a little bit uh, more short-term types of tasks, but they start to pull away at the time that you're spending towards the things that you really feel that you're meant to do or the things that you're really, uh, that you really want to do. And I think that you'll be happier when you kind of listen to what you really want and not who you think people want you to be. Uh, the thing that I will say that I have been fortunate in is that for most of my life, there has not really been that person that said, Mike, you have to be this, you have to do this. And I'm very Looking back, I'm very lucky that that has been the case. Most people have been telling me, yeah, we'll support you in whatever you want to do. Just go do it. And I know that's not the case for everybody. And I hope that people have the experience that I have had. Um, but I kind of wanted to talk a little bit with you, Tim, about has anybody ever said that you should do something in a specific way? And have you either gone with that grain or gone against it? For me, when I think about this, this entire mini lesson, I think about it from a totally different perspective. And it's one of ego that at some point you focus on your life, your career, what you're, what you've achieved, where you're headed, how many years of experience you have. And I see so many so many people equating the years that they've been in a profession with their level of expertise. And that is a common issue that starts to inflate the egos of people. I've spent 15 years in this industry, so I'm an expert at designing houses when all I've been doing is designing hospitals. That's not really the case, right? Or I've spent 15 years, and this is a, a really interesting one for people in the brand identity and graphic design space. You know, people are now saying, I spent 15 years designing logos, so I can help you with your brand identity and your brand strategy. And we're quickly learning that not every brand and logo designer can actually help someone figure out how to strategize their brand. But they say that because they want to take on the titles that seem bigger than the ones they currently have. And that all goes back to ego. In the architectural profession, we're constantly dealing with this idea of time that someone's years of experience will equate to higher pay, which will equate to higher output and better production. 
That's from what I've seen, the total opposite. The more time someone spends in the field and stay in the corporate level, the less they actually produce and the less that they're able to contribute. And I say that knowing that I'm going to get emails and, and a lot of hate for it. But it has to be said because it's the, it's the truth. I'm finding that there are some people, and if you're one of these people, then you are amazing. There are the people who have those years of experience and could actually stand up and tell you and show you and guide you through all those years of experience so that you see the value in them. But from what I've seen, more time doesn't always equate to more value. So when I think about this mini lesson about not owing the world anything, including proving yourself, I think there's also a second side to it, which is that just because you've achieved something, you've done something, you have time put into something, doesn't mean you're the expert in it yet. If you don't put in the work and you don't do something that positions you, then you haven't even figured out what you're about. So if you don't know what you're about and you don't owe the world anything or you're not working to prove something to someone, including yourself, then what are you doing? So I think you need to start with yourself and then you eventually share it with the world. But finding yourself so that you can prove your worth to yourself by doing the things you love to do is always the hardest part, but that's the part you start with. And then you apply it to sharing it with others. Yeah, I love that because one of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with and has been on my mind actually very recently is, so I work in a, an architecture firm <clears throat> that currently does a wide variety of things. And they do a lot of commercial work, a lot of development work, a lot of uh, government work, um, very interesting designs, things that I'm, I'm jiving with a lot. And I just started my job recently there and I, I really like doing it. And the one thing that I have always been interested in though, is sort of this other X factor is houses. And designing houses. And I know you know this, Tim, but for anybody who's listening, I've gone into several design competitions to design, you know, lake houses or modular houses or things like that. And I think architecture is a very interesting sort of profession because there are all these different pieces that we are maybe presented with in our normal day jobs, but I feel like it's a broad enough profession and this probably happens in a lot of design fields. So other people can relate. If you're a graphic designer, maybe you are more specifically interested in logo designs or you're more specifically uh, interested in uh, branding of some kind. You know, there's a wide variety and depth to each of our fields. But I think the thing that I get caught up in sometimes is like, I would never tell you, Tim, that I'm a master how, you know, residential designer. I don't have that experience. I don't claim to have that experience. I'm interested in those things just as a person, as a, as a curious designer, I'm interested in how houses are built versus uh, maybe the schools that I had been working on 
you know, for a couple of years prior to this job or um, the, the kinds of things that I'm working on now. And that's a curiosity that I think it's important to sort of go into if you're interested in it. But to your point, Tim, not, I, I, again, I would not claim that just because I have the, you know, 13 years of experience that I do in our profession, that I am somebody who could just, you know, tell you all about all the houses that I've built and designed. That's not who I am. And, but I could explain to you how I got to the place where I am. And I could explain to you sort of the, um, the path that I think a person's career might take. And those are the kinds of things that I think you can, you can offer with those experiences. And it, it's kind of a theme that I'm seeing through our discussion here that the experiences that we have are really the ones that we can share with other people. And those start to tell the story of who we are. And there's nothing saying that we can't change that story. There's nothing saying that tomorrow I couldn't start a residential firm if I wanted to, and like really dive deep into that interest that I have. Um, and I, I'm not even saying that I will, but I'm saying that it's if it's something that I really want to be known for or to uh, to share with other people, it's I love the the fact that you used the word yet at the end of uh, the the sentence that you had, where it's like you're not you're not this person yet. I think that's something that I've been trying to take hold of recently a lot more. Where it's if you want to be known for these things, if you want to be perceived as that person. It's, it's about saying to yourself, okay, well, what do I need to do to get to that place? And what haven't I done yet to be that person? Um, so when we talk about this mini lesson of you don't owe the world anything, and that includes improving yourself, proving something to yourself, I think for me, it does come down to that, that ego of you don't owe there's no perfect way to have a career, right? There's no perfect way to live a life. And I think using a word like yet, when you describe the things that you might aspire to, um, the things that you are interested in, that can also be kind of a trigger to say, okay, well, I'm not, inter- I'm not an expert in this thing yet, but could I be? Like asking yourself that question, could I be? Asking more questions about, the, the opportunities that you might have rather than saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to just be this person. And the, I hate fake it till you make it. I think that's like a, a, a very uh, destructive phrase. And I think that people who, um, and I, you said that you might get a lot of pushback on this, on what you said, I might get a lot of pushback on <laughs> this for what I'm about to say, but fake it till you make it is like one of the most destructive things that you could tell somebody, uh, period, because I think that it, it sends the wrong message of, we've talked about this a little bit, Tim, but it's like of a life coach who has started being a life coach at the age of like 17. And that's not you might have some great perspectives on the, the the 17 years that you've lived up until that point, but I don't think you're going to be able to tell me about all these different things that I might have already experienced in my life. And there's no, like, I don't want this to necessarily get into like age. Um, but I think that faking it till you make it, especially when you're really young is, is very, is very detrimental to the the potential growth that you could have because in your mind at that point you've 
you've said to yourself, look, this is who I am come hell or high water. And I don't need to prove myself anymore. Um, but that's almost like the antithesis of what I think this mini lesson is trying to say. I would rather say, come at it from a point of, you don't need to prove something to yourself. Like I felt like I needed to, when I was growing up, I don't need to be this great person, but I think that I still need to serve in the way you were talking about it, Tim, strive for these opportunities to find myself. And if I'm really interested in something to, to, I guess, dive deep into what that might be. And maybe I don't end up there like I thought I would, but I'm never going to know unless I try. If I said to you today that I was this residential expert and I wasn't, it is only in some ways hurting me to just fake it till I make it. So um, I don't know what you, uh, I feel like you're, uh, <laughs> you might have something to say more about that topic. No, I, I think you covered it all. That fake it till you make it line is something that I also, I disagree with because I find people are using it in a way to give them permission to do something that they know is unethical but they need to do it because they feel like it's going to bring them financial value. And that's where I don't agree with it. Whereas if you are an introverted person and you're trying your best to learn how to be in a social scenario where you can give a presentation, which is what an introvert is capable of doing, it just takes experience. Then I think in that moment, you can fake it till you make it in the sense that you can tell yourself that you're going to do this thing and it'll be great. And you get on stage and you, you kill it. And then you get off stage and you made it. But when you're saying, I'm going to fake it till I make it because I'm 18 years old, I graduated from high school, all my friends are now in college and I'm by myself and I need to make a buck because my parents are going to kick me out. Now I'm going to tell people I can coach them through their life and their business, but I haven't actually lived a life and I haven't had a business, but I'm going to fake it till I make it. And I met someone at a gym recently who said that they were a life coach. And this is a, a conversation I overheard. I didn't actually meet them. I just overheard a conversation. Someone asked this, this young female, they were like, hey, so what do you do? You're always here. And she said, oh, I'm a life coach. And they're like, well, you, you look like you just graduated from college. And she was like, oh, yeah, I did. But as soon as I graduated, I worked in this office for accounting, which is what I went to school for. And I really didn't like what I was doing. And I hated every day because I was just sitting at my desk, not doing anything of value to me. So I decided I wanted to work a job that would give me flexibility to be here at, at this rock climbing gym and be able to climb every day. And that's when I realized that I could become a life coach. And so now I'm making X amount a year and I work about four hours a week and I'm telling people how to do something that they already know that they could do, but I'm just encouraging them. And I get to come here to the gym every day. And when I heard that, I was like, so you learned how to monetize on something where you're telling someone that they can do something that they already know that they can do what are you actually coaching? Because now you're taking a term where there are real life coaches out there who put in the work, who've done the research, who have done all of this coaching in their life. And you're essentially downsizing it to say, 
as long as I can repeat what someone is saying to me back to them and encourage them that you're now a life coach. And so to me, it's unethical in the sense that you haven't gone through the steps to even get you to the starting point. But in that particular case, that's where faking it till you make it to me becomes unethical because you're downplaying all of the time and all of the things that someone who is actually that role has gone through to get themselves there. And if you don't care about the thing you're actually doing and you're saying that you are that person, now you're really just faking it. You're not making it or anything like that because you're not living out the role that you're putting yourself into. You're only doing it for one purpose and it's financial gain. Yeah, that that's a that's a really a really good story. And I think it's a very a good point too. Um, I think overall, if we talk about this mini lesson, I think there's there's two sides of the coin, right? One is you don't owe the world anything, including proving anything to yourself. And I think that comes from. I know there is a. I didn't experience this directly. Uh, but it is something that I think a lot of people do deal with. They have expectations that they um, might have literally been told to them, like, you have to do this thing in your life. You know, you have to run the family business. You have to, it goes back to the the George uh, Bailey analogy in uh, It's a Wonderful Life. He had to do this thing. He had to be this person. He had to do that, um, have those experiences. And I think the moment for me, that is a little bit similar in my life is that I just kind of realized that this idea of I have to be the greatest version of Mike Lavallee that I can be so I don't let people in my life down, I think was just not fair to my life and not fair to me. And I think that I don't, when I realized that I don't owe anybody anything for whatever I'm about to do, whatever I want to do, that it gave me such freedom to ask myself, what is it that I really want to do? Who is it that I really want to be? And rather than proving myself, I was able to start to flip it on its head and lean into the things I was interested in. And then to your point, Tim, about uh, the ego side of this whole thing, I think that that's a really powerful point too, where people start to label themselves as things. And as they get more experience, they can just sort of fake it till they make it. Or um, even if they don't have experiences in those things, they can just say they fake it till they make it. And I think that that starts to become destructive, not only to the themselves ultimately, because they, I think that person that you described who is a life coach right now, who gets to go uh, exercise every day and and only works four hours a week. I mean, Tim Ferriss would be proud, I guess, um, <laughs> the four-hour work week. Um, I think that overall, there's this kind of uh, sort of thing that's going to be lost for them later in life that they might find as a lesson, hopefully, that will change the direction of what they're doing so that they're not necessarily just faking it till they make it for the rest of their lives. But this, um, I just want to be careful as we just, we, we sort of end this mini lesson that not owing the world, anything doesn't mean actively destroying, you know, things in front of you either, or, or manipulating people. Uh, so I think that that's kind of this other, I didn't necessarily think about that when I was um, pondering this idea, but I'm glad that we talked about it as kind of another 
side of the coin, so to speak. So the last, I just wanted to to add one more thing to it. It's just a quick note that the the mini lesson about you not owing the world anything makes so much sense. But also just keep in mind that the world also doesn't owe you something, because I know that there are different types of people in the world. Some who believe that they owe something, and some who believe that the world owes them something. No one owes anyone anything. In the end, you're trying to find your place in the world. Very well said. That's a, a very、uh, good point to sort of bookend that mini lesson on. So let's go into the final mini lesson here. Letting go is not giving up, and I think that I've talked a little bit about this here and there. Uh, publicly, and I've talked a little bit about this with you, Tim.、Uh, but most recently, I've decided to let go of one of the things that made me <laughs> mildly internet famous. And when I say that, what I really mean is known outside of just my immediate friends and family. In October 2015, I started a blog called Evolving Architect. I began it as a way to create the resource that I didn't have when I left college. And that's something that we talked a little bit before, but it was a bridge between school and the professional world. But after I went through my personal struggle with burnout in 2017, and after I kind of struggled with this identity that I had for myself of being identifying myself with the work that I was doing and trying to strive for this greatness, I I dealt with this burnout and. After I struggled with that, I started to realize that what was evolving wasn't the blog, but it was me, and it was my personal identity of who I wanted to be. I slowly began to lose interest in the topics I had started writing about, and things like how to pass the architect exam didn't really matter as much to me. I began to talk more about my experiences regarding mindset, mental health, burnout, wellness, career, still from that sort of. Nerd culture, sort of、um, unique voice point that I had always used, but I was talk. I noticed that my creative voice was adapting more and more to truly who I was at that, and that the age that I had sort of been given, the the years of time that had passed since I had started the blog. Had given me this really wonderful gift, and it was the ability to let go. I think, Tim, and I don't know if you perceive this in the same way. I know that I'm a little bit older than you are, but not like a decade older.、Um, <laughs> I found that as I get older, I think that the the ties to who I'm supposed to be are thinner. I don't feel like I'm. I have to be anybody other than me, and I think that that's something that helps me make decisions like this to let go of things like this blog evolving architect. So, for clarity's sake, I am in the point of transitioning formally this blog that I've had for the past now six years into something that is much more. Personally branded to me, and that might be a very content creator way of saying that I'm basically taking this this idea, this evolving architect idea that was helping specifically architects, and I'm turning it into something that is much more a 
a personal platform for myself. And there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of those ties to the kinds of topics that I think would be specific to one person. It's still going to have a focus, but it's going to be focused more on the ideas that I have as a person who is evolving themselves and whether that has to do with career, life, mindset, health, wellness, burnout, whatever that might be. I think the the change that I've found for myself in, in, in the way that I talk about things is that I'm just much more interested in things that help guide a long-term conversation about somebody's life and career. And it's things that I think we're starting to break down and unpack here on the the podcast and in these these sessions that we're having in um, lessons to teach our younger selves. But it's about diving deep into these topics, whereas I feel like Evolving Architect was the blog that I started when I was much more interested in creating this kind of uh, it's hard for me to admit this, but sort of the surface level, I'm going to create tutorials. I'm going to create these things um, on the internet and I'm going to try to build a name for myself. And while I think that that is helpful for several reasons, it's also not who I am today. And I think of this quote by Matthew Frederick from 101 Lessons I Learned in Architecture School. And he says, a good designer isn't afraid to throw away a good idea. Evolving architect is one of the in my opinion, the best things I've ever thought about. It's one of the best things I've ever been interested in. It's a great idea. It's just not the idea that fits with who I am today and where I want to be tomorrow. And I think that the journey of one's life is long and the path will change. And for me, it's about giving myself the space to let go of one idea in pursuit of another one that I just truly believe in. And I want to get your take. I don't really have a question, but I want to get your take on sort of um, what letting go means to you and whether or not you feel like that's either giving up or just your take on this subject in general. I think the way that you laid it all out and explained it led to a good place to end the episode on. And the only thing that I can add to this from my perspective and experience is that when you let go of something like you letting go of evolving architect, me letting go of journey of an architect and also letting go of Mars leather company, even though I let go of this seemingly digital in a physical world thing, the experiences and the skills that we gained from it are things that we apply to everything we do. Now we constantly have discussions about what we're working on, the groups that we join, and the things that we're hearing other people talk about, and the fact that we feel like we've gone through that already. So we see what they see, we see their issues, but it's issues we've seen long ago. What's seemingly a big issue for someone today, in our minds, is actually a small issue because we already went through it and solved it once. And so now with all of that experience, letting go of that physical thing, letting go of that digital world thing like a website, is not really letting go. It's letting go of something that people can perceive, but it's allowing you to apply the skills in a new way. And that to me is the beauty of letting go. Yes, that's very well said. And I think that that's, 
I, when we initially had this conversation, I remember distinctly, Tim, where I think you said, well, you know, is it, you asked me, I think pretty point blank, is it time to just sort of let go of Evolving Architect? Like, are you enjoying what you're doing anymore? And I, I was kind of heartbroken a little bit in that moment because it's sad to let go of certain things, but I think you said it really well immediately after I had that reaction. It's like you letting go of something that really isn't working for you is kind of this, um, this blessing in disguise where it allows you to do something better, something uh, more meaningful for yourself. And like you just said, you can use the lessons. It's not like you don't retain those lessons that you learned from that experience, from that process, from putting in the time, putting in the reps, um, from showing up. It's not like you don't, you don't lose that, that quality that you, and th those experiences, and you can take them and adapt them into whatever the next thing is. And I think that that has personally really helped me. And I hope it helps people if they are out there trying to decide whether or not to let go of something, it's okay to let go of something because you've likely in many cases already learned the lessons that you need to from whatever that thing is. And if you really feel strongly that you're meant to do something else, I think ultimately that's really what this whole conversation is about. It's leaning into who you are or who you want to be and letting go of who you are not. So just to summarize where we kind of went through in these mini lessons, the first was there is no one in the world quite like you. The second was you are not your work. The experiences and qualities you offer the world make it a better place. You don't owe the world anything and that includes proving it to yourself. And letting go is not giving up. I think that this is a, a great place to end uh, the conversation on. And I really enjoyed this uh, talk with you, Tim. It's it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately and something that I, I hope, I don't know if I, I would really be able to explain it well to my younger self, but I hope that uh, the lessons that we've talked about here uh, come across to the audience because I think that they're very valuable and they've, they've helped me even refine what I was thinking about the topic. Yeah, I, I think we covered a lot of bases in this in this specific lesson that you would have taught to your younger self. And for those of you listening to us now, make sure you join us next week where I'll be talking about another lesson to my younger self, which is planning less and doing more. Until then, stay safe and we hope to see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Unpacking Design. Check us out anytime at unpackingdesign.com. And you can also find us on iTunes and anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. Please remember to leave a review and share this podcast with someone you know. Mm -hmm.